Good afternoon, folks. Welcome. We've made it. UFC 280 preview show. My name's Tim Wheaton, joined as always by Fraser Crone, the editor at MMA Soccer. How are you doing today, Fraser? Excited for this one. UFC 280. Probably, you know, on paper, the best card of the year. Aside from the PFL, but I've got my biases. I like the PFL November card, but best UFC card of the, the year so far, and I'm buzzing to jump straight into it. Yeah, well, that's the thing. We were talking off air, and like, now this is go right in. No, no previews or anything like that. I'm surprised at this card. It looked so good on paper. It's been three months, and we haven't had any injuries or anything like that. Now, barring any weight issues going into the final days, it, it, this this looks amazing. I can't believe we made it this far. This is this is so lucky. Yeah, it's almost like okay, you know, these all the fighters on here are notorious for pulling out, so we'll just stack the card with a number of huge fighters. Anyone could main event, you know. Yeah. Obviously, we've got the Oliveira Makachev main event and the TJ versus Sterling co-main event. You know, if if either one of those pulls, uh, if the if the main event pulls out, you know, TJ is TJ and Sterling probably could main event this card, especially with the guys beneath. But we haven't had any pullouts. We've still got the like vacant in brackets lightweight main event. We've still got the bantamweight main event. We've still got the you know the the feature bantamweight bout in O'Malley Yan. We've still got Dayuj going up. We've still got... Um, I mean, Chukagian Furo is definitely going under the radar for me because I think that's a phenomenal fight. That could be a main event for a fight night. Without a doubt. I think that main yeah. event's in, in France. You know, if, if, It does. It, it was obviously meant to be the uh, on the France card back in September. We'll go on to talk about that. We've still got Bilal Mohamed, Sean Brady. We've still got, you know, Muradov versus Borello. That, mm-hmm. That's a finishes fight. Ozdemir Krylov. Main event's... Nine nine fight nights out of ten. <laughs> yeah, I can't easily. even get close to the main card on this one. We've got <laughs> you know, we've got Mohamed Makayev, second fight on the card. You know, third UFC fight, second fight on the card. We've got Lena Landsberg opening the card, a girl who was headlined against Chris Cyborg in a yeah. fight night before. This card is amazing. And nobody has fallen out yet. I know. How have they made it? However, I think we do need to talk about the ghost in the room. The ghost of UFC 223. Let me tell you a story about a vacant lightweight title fight featuring Habib Nurmagomedov. And then you know what happened? His opponent had to drop out of the fight due to a knee injury. But then they got the light heavyweight championship, or they got the light heavyweight champion, Max Holloway, to fill in as substitute. Who's the substitute this week? Light heavyweight champion, Alexander Volkanovsky. Of course, that fight did fell through due to various reasons. Um, but I am sensing a little bit of a ghost for the main event like vacant there's a lot of parallels to UFC 223 one of the biggest uh most exciting I don't know 25 hours that we've had in MMA leading up to it you say exciting I say stressful yeah come on you know it's it's we're getting Khabib Tony we're getting Khabib Max they 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 get to pretty much the weigh-ins yeah. Everybody weighs in. Max doesn't weigh in because he, he you know, he, he physically can't make the the weight, or you know, he's been he's been pulled from making the weight. Yes. You then look at Paul Felder. Well, apparently he's not ranked high enough. You then look at yes. Anthony Pettis, a former champion. Oh, apparently he's not ranked high enough. You know, the board won't won't allow it. Hello, oh, Quinto. Is that you? Come on in. Even on the ring walk, you know, someone knocked over a TV. Hello, Quinto. You know, reactions straight on point to, uh, to 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 grab the TV as it's falling. This guy is so relaxed. He's going up to fight. You know, he's literally literally making the ring walk to fight one of the most dangerous guys in UFC history, as far as 
domination is concerned. Yep. Khabib is coming off the dominant, dominant victory of, I think it was Edson Barboza, where he's dominated him. He's dominated Michael Johnson. Yep, just on a street. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. the guy to avoid. I like Grinter doesn't care. You know, well, you know, I don't even like the UFC. I can't be bothered to fight anymore. But oh, what? I might win a title. Yeah, why not? Probably gets 50, 44, 50, 43 even in some of those rounds. He gets put in a rear naked choke, and then what? He managed to go the twenty-five minute distance on on twenty-four no twenty-four hours notice. Yep. And then for me, the best bit of the entire fight. He drops his head like he's really disappointed when the uh, the final decision's read out like he thought he might edge it. I mean, I completely agree with you, you know, that they're stacking this card below the card just in case we have a fall-off. Yeah. But they're even going as far as to have a, a replacement for the lightweight belt, which, you know, in my opinion, fingers crossed that this fight goes ahead, Oliveira Makachev, because, you know, it's a phenomenal fight. We'll go on to talk about it in a second. But also, mm-hmm. I'd, I wouldn't want... Volkanovski's opportunity at lightweight to come on 24 hours notice potentially or 48 hours to 72. I, I'd want a full camp Volkanovski yes. switched on to I am fighting this fighter. Not I might be fighting Oliveira, I might be fighting Makachev. Yeah. I want him switched on. And I, you know, I do think this is a definitely a uh, a hint as to where Volkanovski will, will go. You know, he'll probably have one more down at featherweight and then and then move up to lightweight and challenge straight away for the belt. Yep. But I want that to be on a proper camp. I want that to be a proper sustained, not just Volkanovski cut, cutting 10 less pounds like he will do um, for this bout. Mm-hmm. I want him to be a fully-fledged lightweight by the time that he goes up to lightweight to compete. But yes, again, why not? You know, he's he's going, he's, yeah, why not? He, he's going, he's going to get paid to weigh in. He's going to get paid an amount um, for his sort of show money, as it were. Uh, I imagine he's, and you know, it's a great opportunity to to boost his his profile again. You know, he's been out since the uh, zombie fight with that. Mm-hmm. I think he broke his thumb or he broke. His, he had hand surgery or something. Yep. So it's, he's going to be doing the media rounds. He's going to be getting mm-hmm. his name back out there. You know, there's no there's no featherweight fights on this um, on this card. So there's no one that's going to be calling him out. Oh, there's one featherweight fight, but the guys aren't nearly nearly title title contenders. So you know, yep. it's it's a great opportunity for him now to. To kind of just you know get his name back out there and say, look, I'm here for the lightweight title. I'm yeah. I'm officially announcing my move up to lightweight. We've got a card coming in Australia at the, in the beginning of uh, next year. Put me on that card. If it's not a lightweight, I'll drop back down. You know, to my to my weight class featherweight, mm-hmm. and we'll see what happens down there. But I think it's a you know, Volkanovski's got nothing to lose. Yes, it's not like he's cutting down to to one fifty five. It's going to kill him. He, he's He's a 145 pound fighter, and it's a big cut for 145. But he's cutting 10 less pounds. He'll probably just cut cut the weight. Weighing, I think, can't remember off the top of my head who it was that weighed in for the middleweight title fight a few a few months back. But they just sort of cut the weight, and then we didn't see anything from them. And, and no. you have you have this quite often, you know. These guys, Jiri Pahatska, before he won the belt, did it. I think with uh, Jan Blahovic and yeah. and Glover Teixeira, he weighed in, didn't see anything from him after fight night. He was just there as a as a fan then. So, yeah. yeah, really. Really exciting, but the lightweight main event. I don't want to bury the lead here too much, but let me ask you. So right now we are, this is the ghost of Tony Habib. But what is the actual better fight? Oliveira Makachev or Tony Habib? Like, is, is this better than the fight that we have been promised five times? It's, or is it or is it lateral? I think it, it's, it's difficult because we've seen... Mm. 
recency bias maybe would say that this is the better fight because of Tony, how he's looked in his, his you know, how he's looked against Gaethje, against Dariush, against Oliveira, against yeah. Chandler, against Nate. You know, the, yeah. the, it's all sort of trending towards uh, Khabib would have just dominated that fight. But that wasn't, yeah. this isn't the Tony Ferguson. This isn't the Al Kakui Tony Ferguson. This is this is Tony Ferguson who, you know, He's not the Tony Ferguson that w- that that was scheduled to fight Khabib, and I think all these pullouts with Khabib, he had the injuries. Khabib had the injuries, the weight misses, the the COVID um, sort of yeah, cancellation pan- of the pandemic. Card. You know, I think that really, maybe even just stunted the motivation of Tony. But I think if we look in 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 five ten years, when both or, or when we look if we look at when Oliveira and Makachev retire. I think we'll probably look back and say Khabib and Tony was the better fight on paper, but you know we don't know how this one's going to play out. This mm-hmm. one almost guarantees a brilliant fight. Yeah, and you know, will I, touch wood, fingers crossed, all that that we're actually going to get this one. We yeah. never got Khabib Tony, so we'll never know. Well, you know, that could have been a fight of the year contender. It could have been an absolute domination on the hands of Khabib. It could have been a domination on the hands of Ferguson. Yeah. This one will hopefully go down this weekend and we'll be able to sort of put at least an extra paragraph onto the which is the better fight. Uh, yeah, maybe that's it. We'll wait until to see what actually happened, but let's set it up. I'm going to set the stage here. Let's set the table. We have Islam Makachev. He is the uh, trained under Abdullah Map. Uh, he grew up next to Habib Nurmagomedov. Apparently they were neighbors growing up. He's on a, put together a 10-fight win streak recovering from his his singular lone MMA loss. He's he, It's not just... Some of the some he's beaten some great fighters, but it's also how he beat these people. He dominated Bobby Green, dominated Dan Hooker, just dominated everyone in front of him in in what was quite impressive performances. The kid from the favela, Charles Oliveira, Charles Dubronx Oliveira, after having like a, like a four and four record in in the UFC, jumping around weights, unable to make weight, he's getting his like <laughs> he got weird injuries. Uh, but yeah, he came into the UFC as a phenom, struggled. He finally put it together. He figured out the weight. He figured out that he should be at shoot a box. Put together like an eleven fight win streak over just incredible names like Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier, uh, Michael Chandler, and they were some of the most exciting fights we have ever seen in UFC history. When you put it all together, this is a match made in heaven. This is the fights that we dream about. Of like we want these storylines going into this fight. I am so excited for this fight. Fraser, jump in here. Where are you at? What do you think? What do you see? UFC, if you're listening, that's how you do a promo. That is how you do a promo. You know, if I wasn't hyped, <laughs> if I wasn't hyped enough, that that has just got me even more hyped for this fight. I completely agree with everything you're saying. The the backstories of these two guys outside of the octagon are are to be followed. The stories of these guys inside the octagon are to get hyped for. You know, this is. On paper, one of the most competitive, intriguing matchups. We don't know where the fight's going to play out. We've got Islam Makachev, the the ground and pound Sambo Dagestani wrestler. Does he want to hit the floor with Charles Oliveira, who holds the UFC record for most submissions? Do logically, <laughs> you'd say, do not hit the floor with this guy. Do not go to the ground with this guy. Keep it standing. But then Charles Oliveira standing is a dangerous guy, you know. Knock down Justin Gaethje, put an absolute pace on Dustin Poirier, knocked out, uh, not pretty much knocked out Michael Chandler on the feet. Mm-hmm. Then he showed his wrestling skills against Tony Ferguson. 
Mm-hmm. Showed his, his stand up and his wrestling against Kevin Lee. Even you know back in the day, uh, knocked out Jared uh, Jared Gordon. You know th- this guy is dangerous on the feet, dangerous on the ground. Yes, but Makachev, I do not think fears Oliveira on the ground or on the feet. And because Charles Oliveira, we love watching him fight because he is so exciting. The guy will take a lick to land a right hook. He will take, you know, he he goes to the ground easily and that's no disrespect to his chin i think he goes to the ground easily hoping that opponents will follow him down well he's got a dance partner in makachev that will more than likely look to follow him down so i don't see makachev i don't see Oliveira going down as easily you know some of the shots that were landed against uh justin Poirier and against justin gaethje i don't think would ordinarily knock charles Oliveira down but he sort of well, he, he, he received you know a jab or a, a hook that's landed on uh, on Oliveira, and he'll sort of flop to his back. Not you know he pulled guard against Justin Gaethje. This is how confident this guy is on the ground. Makachev, I don't think you know even if he does land on Oliveira, I don't think Oliveira's instinct is to go right. I'm gonna I'm gonna lie on my back because Makachev will jump straight into his guard and look to land that brutal ground pound that we've seen so many times. Mm-hmm. Oliver is such an exciting fighter because, like I say, he'll take ten shots to land one big knee. He'll take four shots to land, you know, to, to try and get his, you know, he'll, he'll receive shots to try and get into the clinch and, and look to, to wrap a neck. But there's, when are these wars that you know? Tony Ferguson, you know, no disrespect to Tony, but it's an easy fight for Oliver. He took him down. He dominated him on the floor. He took him down. He dominated him on the floor. Yeah, he took you down in the third round. Dominated him on the floor. It was a domination. I think I'm just going to quickly get the, the the control time up for for um, Charles Oliver. Eleven minutes thirty nine control time. So over Sorry. two whole rounds, and that was three takedowns. One in the first, one in the second, one in the third. He took next to no damage in that fight. Mm-hmm. You know, thirty twenty six across all scorecards. You know, there's a ten eight in there against Tony Ferguson. That's saying something big. But then we had the war against Michael Chandler when he, you know, he was cut. He was almost caught in a guillotine. He was knocked down. It's almost finished in that first round. Justin Poirier knocked him down, cut him yep. up. Justin Gaethje knocked him down within the first couple of. I mean, the, the fight only lasted a little un, under three and a half minutes, but Justin Gaethje knocked him down. Justin Gaethje cut him. Mm-hmm. For me, the styles of Justin Gaethje and Johnny Walker remind me a lot. <laughs> of Charles Oliveira, he's out there. He's a bit wild with his shots. He's, you he's know, floppy in a way. Yeah, he'll, yeah, he'll, yeah. He'll throw a jumping switch knee. But a question I want to ask you is: How long do you think Charles can maintain that kind of a style where he does take a lot of damage? You know, yeah, Chandler, Poirier, Gaethje, a lot of damage accumulate, and that's all since May last year. You know, we're not even yeah. sort of eighteen months removed from from the, the Michael Chandler fight. How yeah. much is that damage going to have, you know, built up and built up and built? We always say Nate Diaz has got the scar tissue, so you land a jab on Nate Diaz and suddenly he's bleeding, but it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> how does how what effect, you know, does that damage have on on Charles Oliveira? The the, the damage that he's taken across at just the last three fights, let alone a, a UFC yeah. career that spanned since he was twenty years old. Well, and that, that's the stuff I was going to add as well. Of like the last three fights, he took tremendous damage being knocked down. But even remember the Paul Felder fight where he he was just bludgeoned for three straight rounds. I, I it doesn't. I would conventionally say that doesn't bode well for a person's longevity. And if he does have like five fights at the top and then kind of fades away, that's still a really great career he put together. But you got to think this has to start wearing on him 
sooner rather than later, right? For sure. Is it going to be Makachev? Is is, is the, 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 I wouldn't say look because he makes his own look by being so phenomenal. You know, you don't get the all-time finishes and all-time subs record by, by look. But mm. is his look going to run out, in, in, in for, for want of a better word, against Islam Makachev? I'm not so sure because I think what really matters is if you look at the guards that he's faced, the last five guards that he's faced, yeah. Kevin Lee fought Tony Ferguson for a vacant title, came up short, so he's a, a title contender. Mm-hmm. Tony Ferguson, former vacant lightweight title holder, mm. multiple times should have been on paper, as we've alluded to, title <laughs> challenger. Yeah. Michael Chandler, former Bellator title, uh, title holder, you know, well, well regarded in, in, in the the hardcore MMA sort of circles. You know, he doesn't get fights with Justin Gaethje, doesn't beat Tony Ferguson, doesn't get a fight with Dustin Poirier if he's a, an average guy coming over. Dustin Poirier, Maybe the best guy to never win an undisputed title at lightweight. <laughs> you know, he's in that conversation for sure. And Justin Gaethje, mm. you know, a former two-time title tra- or he held the vacant title, didn't he? Then he faced Khabib, Something WSOF like that, yeah. uh, t- title holder. Yep. The caliber of opponent that Charles Oliveira is fighting. You know, he fought Anthony. Yes, he lost, but he fought Anthony Pettis, Jim Miller, Clay Guida, as you alluded to, Paul Felder, Will Brooks yep. back in the day. You know, yeah. we go to Miles Joy, Max Holloway, Jeremy Stevens. You know, these, I mean, Cook yeah. Swanson. You're going Just back constant. as far as Donald Cerrone, Jim Miller again. I mean, yeah. he, he he debuted against Darren Alkins. Darren Alkins is never going to be a, a world champion, but he's a tough guy to put away. And, and Charles submitted him in 41 seconds, you know. Yep. The calibre of fighter that Charles Oliveira has fought in comparison to Islam Makachev, I think, is what might give him the edge in this one. Now, no disrespect to any of the guys that, that Makachev has faced. But I think the best guy he's faced is Armin Sarukian. And that was back in 2019. Since then, Davi Hamosh, good fighter, but not not top 20, in my opinion. Drew Dober, the, the nearly man, you know, he's, again, a good fighter, probably, you know, not even bring top 15 at the moment with the, the, the guys that are lightweight. Yeah. Thiago Moises, good, but that was a dominant, dominant fight. And I, that was on late notice for Moises. Dan Hooker at the time, not a Great. top fifteen guy. You know, yeah, he was coming fine. off that one win against Nazareth Hatparaz, but you know, he'd just been knocked out by Michael Chandler. He'd just gone to war with Dustin Poirier, and then Bobby Green again. You know, Bobby Green got that fight because he'd, he'd won two in a row, but that was against Ira Quinter, who he knocked out within you know less than half a round, and Nazareth Hatparaz himself, who again, as we've alluded to, is not a top fifteen guy. Also, Bobby Green's style lends itself to to Islam Makachev. Mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. he shoulder rolls, you know, a lot, and he, yeah. it's an exciting style when you're facing a striker. But if you shoulder roll against a wrestler, what what's the the closest thing to your opponent? Not your head, it's your hips. Yeah, and as we saw in that, it. it... <gasps> oh, we're back. Yeah, one <laughs> takedown before before Bobby Green, you know, succumbed to the pressure of Islam Makachev. He's never faced a guy in the top 10. Aside from, I think Dan Hooker was maybe ranked in the top 10 when they faced each other. But again, this is a Dan Hooker that is, was, you know, he was two and one in his last, uh, sorry, one and two in his last three fights prior to facing Islam Makachev. And again, Dan Hooker's got a style that lends itself to, to Islam Makachev. Yes, that City kickboxing team has got a notoriously good takedown defense record. Yes. Dan Hooker himself looks to 
similar to Bobby Green, is to lean out of the way of shots. Yeah. Given your hips. Exposing up. your hips. I don't think, you know, even if Makachev takes Oliveira down to the ground, which, let's be honest, 3.41 takedowns per, per 15 minutes. This is a 25-minute fight with an accuracy of 65%. That 65%, I think, is... There should be an asterisk next to that 65% because he is so relentless. He doesn't get the first, but he'll chain it to the second, to the third, to the fourth until he gets his fight to the floor. Yes, I don't recall watching many of Islam's, Islam Makachev's fights where he has he's struggled to get his, his opponent to the floor. I think the, the most difficulty we've seen against is, was against Armin Sarukian, but that's, that was a freak fight of two elite wrestlers who, you know, Sarukian probably takes anyone down that he faces apart from Islam Makachev. He's talking down one out of 12 attempts. Mm-hmm. Islam Makachev took Sarukian down four out of nine. But again, it's chain wrestling. It's, okay, I haven't got you with the first shot, but I've now got you up against the fence where I'll sort of look to take you down. Okay, you bounce back up, I'll take you down again. I'll hold you down for you know half a round or whatever. It's, it's important, I think, Islam Makachev, like, like we said off the top, his style lends itself. Charles Oliveira wants to fight on the floor. Yeah. Islam Makachev wants to take the fight to the floor. Yeah. How does that play out? Yeah. I am excited for it. <laughs> I, I agree with you as well because there's just so many interesting folds like you were alluding to in terms of like Islam Makachev's relentless takedowns. Well, he's not going to need it. He's going to get the takedown because Charles Oliveira is welcoming it. Cool. You want to go to the ground? Great. Charles Oliveira, Muay Thai on the feet, especially from the mid to the close range. That's some dangerous stuff. I think Islam Makachev also has like his relentless takedowns and the reason that he lost. He's not Habib. He's he's more reckless than Habib is. He's willing to take a lot more damage when he shouldn't be taking damage, stuff like that. Whereas Habib had like almost a very good like seventh sense of being aware of like, when is the takedown winner? The strikes coming. Islam is just like, he's constantly in on it. But I will say the weakness that we have mostly seen from Charles Oliveira, especially in his like second career, it, you know, there's the first career where it's clearly durability was his issue. His second career where durability is not an issue is now strength somehow. Uh, but his, his constant weakness has been top position wrestlers. Paul Felder took him down and ground and pounded him. Even if you look at the Kevin Lee fight, which I rewatched for research, Kevin Lee was landing ground and pound. And Kevin Lee and Paul Felder are not the acumen of wrestlers that an Islam Makachev is. So this is the stuff of like, we're just putting it here on the table. I, I, this is great. Like looking at all these different folds and all this different stuff that could happen. These are the things that make, that make you wonder what's going to happen. If you're putting, well, we gotta, we gotta give like a a soft prediction at least. I know it's going to be violent. It's going to be back and forth. I think we're going to see tons of like momentum shifts you know, this person's on top, this person's getting a submission. This is going to be an insane fight is what I imagine. Uh, but yeah, if you have to pick someone, you have to pick someone who is walking away with the vacant UFC gold. Alex Oliveira. No, not Alex What? <laughs> what did you say Volkanovski? Alex Volkanovski. Alex Volkanovski is walking away. Like, which, no, 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 no. I, I hope so. That'd I be can't. even better. Yeah. That'd be great. You know, Similar to you, I, I've got a, a piece coming out on the site this week, Keys to Victory for Islam Makachev. I've got yep. a video coming out, I think, tomorrow on the YouTube channel of a, you know, a, a stats breakdown, just literally UFC stats, looking at the stats and what they might allude to. For, for the main event, I've got a co-main event that we'll go on to talk about, and I'm going to cover yep. the, the Petr Jan-Aljo uh, fight. Hey, sorry, awesome. I'm so used to saying Petr Jan-Aljo. It's, no, it's, it's Aljo, TJ, Petr Jan, Sean yep. Emma. I was just... You know, it just seems like those two have been fighting for about two years now. But no, in this one, it, it's it's so difficult because why wouldn't you pick Islam Makachev? You know, he's been 
so dominant in his past. Just if you just look at his past three wins, Thiago Moses, Dan Hooker, Bobby Green. He's been so dominant across them, but I think anybody else that hasn't got Khabib in their corner, yeah, doesn't get a, doesn't get a title shot with a win over Thiago Moses, Dan Hooker, and Bobby Green. No yeah. disrespect to any of those guys, but I just don't think it happens. Yeah, yep. I'm going to pick Charles Oliveira and not with any confidence, and that's no disrespect to Charles Oliveira. Yes, but like you say, you know, Kevin Lee, not, and this is a Kevin Lee that wasn't on the kind of you know, he wasn't no. straight up off a title shot. Let me quickly check who Kevin Lee had fought prior to fighting Charles Oliveira. Oh, he he uh, he kicked Gregor Gillespie into oh, oblivion. Yeah, exactly, but, <laughs> but that was like that... that was his only win in a few years. Before exactly. that, he was like, he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, he he lost to Tony Ferguson in the uh, in in the vacant title fight. He then beat Barboza, but was on you know wobbly legs in that one. Dominated yeah. by Ira Quinta across five rounds. Subbed by RDA. Then he knocked Gregor Gillespie into the shadow realm. Then he lost to <laughs> Charles Oliveira. Then he lost, after Charles, he lost to Daniel Rodriguez. So this isn't a guy who's got notoriously, you know, he's not top of the food chain guy. But he got on top. He got on top but of then Oliveira. He got on, yeah, exactly. He got, and, I mean, Paul Felder. Paul Felder's a Muay Thai striker, kickboxer. Yeah. T- trains yeah. with uh, Duke Rufus. You know, he's not a guy who's going to take you down and ground and bound you. Otherwise, he wouldn't train at that gym straight up. And yet he, he did. <laughs> brutally knocked out um, Charles Oliveira in was that a third, a second or third round? It's second, second round. round, yeah. So yeah. it's trending towards an Islam Makachev win, but I can just almost see Makachev. You know, I, I've been watching some tape, and and the same as you, and and in my Keith Davici, there's there's a sequence when Makachev faced Wade back way back in I think twenty. I can't remember exactly when the fight was. I'll just double check now. So yeah, way back in 2016, Makachev shot him for a takedown. Was caught in a guillotine by Chris Wade. If that happened, Charles Oliveira finishes that guillotine and the fight's over straight up. Probably, you know, probably. Islam Makachev cannot make any mistakes on the ground because Oliveira will just snatch some sort of limb or more than likely snatch a neck. But I am gonna softly pick Charles Oliveira by submission, and I think that potentially is. You know, I think Islam Makachev dominates until he loses in in a weird sense of, of, of a pick. You know, I think Islam Makachev probably dominates the first round. Charles Oliveira is a notoriously fast starter. Islam Makachev said he's going to try and make reads in that first round. Well, how can you make reads if you're constantly being pressured with your back up against the fence? But, you know, I think Makachev probably just takes him down at will. Mm. And maybe, you know, third i think late on th- late in the third fourth or maybe even in the fifth when when makachev has got that confidence of okay maybe i can't finish this guy on the ground he's being defensively aware i'm just going to take him down and, and dominate him okay he's got back to his feet i'm going to take him down mm. oh shit i've just woken up looking at the ceiling i've been choked out i think that's what might happen is is makachev almost gets a little bit excited and a little bit you know just he almost cruises to being able to take down oliver at will you know okay. I'm just going to take him down. I'm going to take him down, and then Oliveira might catch him in a guillotine or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. As as Makachev thinking, you know, like I say, I'm just going to take this fight down as and when I want to. No, I've got nothing coming back. I'm not worried about the the sort of the, the threat off his back because I'm just ground. I've been ground and pounding for two, three rounds now, and then I think Oliveira might snatch a neck if he gets a little bit sort of lazy, almost complacent. 
I, yeah, I, I can definitely see that. It's He just figures out where the arm bar is or something weird like that happens. Or he catches a knee on entry. There's, I think, but I think what we're getting to is that Islam, is, it should, on paper, style-wise, win. Charles has more tools to win, but he also has much more experience. When you combine a little bit more tools with a little bit more experience, if the durability is there, this should be a Charles Oliveira win. But like you said, if it goes the other way, I'm not even surprised. I know that we, you and I especially, have been very critical of Islam Akachev's record, but I, I could still see him winning this fight. For sure. But, for sure. but you know, I'm still going to be picking Charles in this one. You know, it's crazy. When we were putting together notes and watching videos for this one, these two are so seared in our memories that I'm sure both of us were just like, yeah, whatever. I, I'm not going to write anything down. I know <laughs> these guys are just for in sure. my head. You know, I've got the UFC stats <laughs> website just to check specifics. And aside from that, you know, these we watch all of the. You know, no disrespect to Alexa Grasso and Vivian Arujo that, that fought this weekend. A, yeah. didn't watch the fight because I'm not really that bothered about it. But B, <laughs> I would have had to look at... So, yeah. Aside from, you know, for Alexa Grasso, I remember her fight against Joanne Calderwood where she, I think she choked her out, I think. And her fight against Macy Barber because I just remember how bad yes. Barber was. She was fainting was... from the other side of the octagon. That's the only <laughs> fights I remember of those two women. And the Tatiana Suarez when she beat Alexa Grasso oh. back in the day. Yeah. But... You know, for these guys, you don't have to watch hours and hours. You know, we watch hours and hours of tape to get specific sequences and movements for, for you know, try and pick mm-hmm. up on the trends of both guys. But we don't have to think, oh, who did Oliveira fight? Like, he, he, of course, he fought Justin Gaethje in that war. Then he fought Justin Poirier in the war before that. And I remember the first round of Justin Poirier in the Poirier fight. Just an absolute crazy frenetic pace. And I think, I mean... <laughs> If, if I'm Islam Makachev, I'm not only waterloading to make the weight, but then afterwards I'm waterloading. So I, in Abu Dhabi, in a hot climate, I sweat a lot yep. in the octagon so that I can slip out of... I know it's ridiculous yeah. as that might sound, but he wants to be in there. He wants to be sweating. So he can slip out of submissions. It's going to be a lot easier for him to slip out of submissions than it would in a, in a dry Las Vegas desert. And, That's actually a good point. That's a fair point. Yeah. You know, in all seriousness, you know, Joanne Calderwood spoke about how hot it is in the arena when she fought, I think she fought, maybe she fought Chikagi, and I can't remember when Khabib and and, um, and Gaethje fought, I think, or, or Khabib and uh, Poirier. I can't remember off the top of my head which which fight, which uh, pay-per-view it was. But Joanne mm-hmm. Calderwood was like, it is so hot in there. Not only is it hot outside but you got you're then in the arena and you've got the lights on top of you you're sweating a lot and all the commentators have commented on it that's yeah. going to make it harder for submission straight up we know from listening to commentary and from listening and from watching fights the later you know a, a submission is easier to get earlier on in the fight because the guys aren't sweaty and they can yeah. just lock in onto a, a essentially a, you know a dry neck a, a dry arm if you can slip out using sort of utilizing the sweat and the climate to your ability, as ridiculous as it might sound, I know that you know people will be listening to this thinking that we're crazy, but no. the, the the theory behind it works. Well, well, yeah, this is why uh, the theory behind it absolutely. This is why George Saint Pierre was accused of greasing because it is easier to escape submissions or escape a person's guard. Back in the day, I think Big John McCarthy was talking about this during the greasing accusations but he said some fighters like especially the shiny ones frank shamrock ken shamrock were accused of this but they used to do um, like a soapy bath before a fight now that sounds stupid but soap would then because you're not allowed to oil you're not allowed to grease but soap would dry to your skin and then when you sweat it becomes more and more slippery so these guys like greasing has been around forever slipping out of submissions is not a new thing if you can find some weird technique to escape submissions 
I mean, use it. It is your arm. It is life or death. There is a UFC championship on the line. And I hate to bring out Tito Ortiz, but if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you need all the help you can get to try and slip out of a Charles Oliveira submission because yeah. the record speaks for itself. Yes. He can submit pretty much anybody at whatever time he wants. Oh, just amazing time. But let's move down. So we're going from maybe the, the most prestigious division in the UFC to the most stacked division in the UFC. Aljamain Sterling Finally, he is an undisputed champion. The, the phenom is finally living up to what he always should have been. He w- looked so good in his first several fights, and we knew this kid was so deserving, and he's made it. So now he is defending his undisputed championship against the previously suspended due to EPO, coming back to reclaim his throne, TJ Dillashaw. It's a great fight. It's a style contrast. Uh, we've, I genuinely don't really know what's going to happen in this fight. I think as much as like the main event is unpredictable, this one, like, you could throw out any dumb prediction, and I'd be like, yeah, sure. Yeah, submission, TKO for one guy, decision, yeah. That all makes sense. I genuinely don't know what to expect in this fight, but but Aljamain Sterling, TJ Dillashaw for the bantamweight title. Fraser, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's it's the storyline going into it is exciting. You know, TJ Dillashaw's got the chance to become a three-time bantamweight champion. Obviously, the first time he lost it to Dominic Cruz. Yep. Second time he lost it to EPO. Yeah. You know, and, and this is his third opportunity to gain the bout. Now, I think Sterling's going to be riding a lot of momentum coming off that, that win against Petty Yan. Obviously, he got the controversial victory when he got the, the DQ. Mm-hmm. I think the second fight, I think he, he rightfully won the fight 3-2. I think he took the first, Easily. off the top of my head, it's the first three rounds. The yeah. second and third round were undisputable. You know, he, he dominated Petty Yan. Mm-hmm. He'd been hanging out with Andrew Tate this week, which makes me kind of want him to lose. But then he, he <laughs> I didn't you know, want to Andrew bring it Tate up. <laughs> is, for want of a better word, a wank. But you know, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I didn't want to bring up. it up. I was like, I didn't Twitter was rough yesterday. <laughs> the UFC outside of the fighting this week has really pissed me off. Signing Hasbulla, all that shit. <laughs> Signing with Meta, saying, "Oh, look at this. We're doing this. We're doing that." VR fights now. VR oh. fights, which are cool, but. Pay your no, fighters and then and then put that, you know, outside of the, the octagon and outside of UFC 280, the fights can't be bothered with the UFC this week. I think it's been shit. But oh, did you back, see Dana White? Uh, the registering for uh, Dana White and Lorenzo are, are the, registering for a slap fighting. The, Man, the, we, how, again, how close I knew are there we? Was, this, I knew this there is was a, something else, and it's just like I can't be asked. But luckily, luckily, this is a circus act. We're lucky to be here. Like exactly. this is so silly sometimes. Anyway, yeah. the fights are great. Yeah, the fights are good, but you've then got guys trying to promote the fights, talking to that knobhead Andrew Tate. But, you know, luckily, we've got a fight on our hands. TJ, I I think this is going to come down to, you know, on my stats video, I kind of alluded to the fact that I think this will come down to wrestling. And on paper, Aljamain Sterling is not a very good wrestler. 21% takedown accuracy, failed hundreds what felt like hundreds of times in their first fight against Petty Yan, which essentially gassed him out and you know led to him losing the fight until Yan, you know one of 17 takedowns mm-hmm. and that one takedown was landed in the first round and he got 27 seconds control time that that's not that's not good if you're Aljamain Sterling you know if you look back through his past fights you know zero of seven takedowns against Pedro Munoz you know zero of seven against Jimmy Rivera he landed um, two of nine against Cody Stamen. And, you know, he landed two of 22 against Petty Yan. Now, yes, those two, 
you didn't need an awful lot else. Out, you know, control, yeah. you know, in those two, he got he got the fight to the ground. His chain wrestling was phenomenal, and he dominated Petian on the ground when he got him there. But in that last round, zero of ten takedown attempts mm-hmm. against Petian. Now you compare that to TJ Dillashaw's takedown defense, eighty six percent. And yes, he hasn't fought. You know, Lineker, Garbrandt, Garbrandt. Cejudo didn't really last long. Sandhagen didn't really look to take him down. He he he's he's not facing the the sort of you know his last five fights like you know Cejudo is a wrestler but that one ended in under thirty seconds so he didn't even need to use his wrestling in that one but yeah Lineker Garbrandt twice Garbrandt I think probably shot for a takedown off the top of my head I can't quite remember but I imagine he shot for a takedown after he was rocked Sandhagen not a wrestler very much a, a long kickboxer with a with a sort of boxing background yep. he's not being tested in the takedown sort of realm the wrestling realm as it were all that often, but that doesn't take away the fact that he's got an 86% takedown defense against Aljamain Sterling, who is a volume takedown guy rather than like we say, a, a Makachev who can, you know, fail on one takedown, then he'll go for the next and next and next, and then get you to the ground and hold you there. Aljamain Sterling will fail on a takedown, reset, go again for the takedown, reset, go again for the takedown and reset. He doesn't chain together that wrestling as well as someone like an Islam Makachev, which probably is why he's got the 21% takedown accuracy. Mm. It's going to be difficult, I think, for... I, I can't ever picture TJ Dillashaw being controlled on the ground, especially in recent memory. But TJ is an old, I think, what, he's 35, 36 now. He's an old yeah. 35, 36. He's, he's had his... You know, when he was out with uh, his suspension, he got two shoulder surgeries. He then had to have his knee operated on, I'm pretty sure. He suffered a bad knee injury anyway against Corey Sandhagen last time out. He's an old yeah. 35, 36, or he's an old bantamweight, you know. And we know that he's a big guy. Yes, he cut down to flyweight that time, but we know that that was sort of helped by EPO, as it were. But, <laughs> you know, it's not, these big cuts aren't helping him at all. He's, I mean, I've seen pictures of him, he's absolutely shredded. Yeah. But how much is that going to take out of him before the fight? You know, he has only made weight once since, since you know, he's, he, let's ignore the Henry Cejudo flyweight thing. He's made bantamweight once since 2018. He then fought in July last year, making the weight. How much is that weight going to take take out of him? I don't for one minute think that he's going to miss weight, but I think that, it, you know, how much of a detrimental effect is that going to take on him? Get someone like Aljamain Sterling, who is... Again, shredded. These guys haven't got a lot of weight to cut, you know. Yeah. The, you know, their muscles are going to hold on to the water and, and, you know, maybe be a little bit more reluctant to sort of let that water go. But we'll have to see, you know, the weight itself, I don't think will be an issue for either guy, but it's just how much that will take out of them on fight night. It's, it's exciting for sure. But yeah, for me, I think this, this comes down to the wrestling. I think TJ's got the, the advantage in this one. Yeah, and DJ also had a better wrestling acumen being an NCAA qualified wrestler. Alja was an NCAA D3 wrestler uh, where and, and didn't really, neither of them really had success in NCAA, whatever division they were in. They certainly weren't champions or even top five or anything like that. However, qualifying for them does say quite a bit. We, yeah, I, the wrestling thing, TJ was was of that team alpha male, male of like, we're all wrestlers, but now we're going to reinvent <laughs> what, what footwork actually looks like. He defends takedowns just mainly with footwork, things like that. He also has that, like, the reason that we talk about TJ in such high degree of like, if you made 
a pound for pound list of the greatest, most talented fighters, just looking at talent of all time. I think TJ would honestly be top five in terms of how skilled he is. Uh, like the stuff that he was able to do, he's out striking guys like Cody Garbrandt. He's out striking guys like, you know, a son, Salen Lineker when it mattered, when he really had to do it. He was out striking um, Hennon Burrell when it mattered at the top of Hennon Burrell's career. He was there. And now, like you said, like just in- injuries, knee suspensions weight issues he's coming in now as the smaller guy whereas aljo has just had two frenetic fights against peter yan in a row yeah a lot of these things do factor together but if you're just looking on paper i have to think because Aljamain sterling is actually a fairly serviceable striker he is just so he's very long in there so he often looks yeah, quite dangly. flowy flowy in there you know yeah and yeah he's, he's just he is serviceable i'm not sure how he is in the second and third layer i do think he's a serviceable striker in that he'll strike on the first layer because he's trying to get a takedown essentially whereas tj is is such an accomplished striker everywhere he goes you know fifth you know we're talking about third third layer exchanges against him and cody garbrandt for a reason like that stuff was really impressive uh, but in the Sandhagen fight, you did see the stuff that you do want to see of someone going into a championship of like, he was struggling on the feet against a longer striker, but he dug deep, you know, in his, in his age, he's still able to dig deep and really find that, like, uh, that, uh, that fortitude when he needs to find his fortitude that, that does bode well for him. Aljamain Sterling, although on the flip side, Aljamain Sterling should have every advantage going into this fight. He's got a, a, a really impressive win streak. He looked good in a lot of those wins as well against named people, relevant wins within the last three years. Whereas uh, he's gotten an entire career together since 2018, like seven wins in a row since 2018, where TJ has one win. You have to think this, sure. is, this is probably a Sterling fight. Although if TJ does do it, that is one of the most impressive careers anyone has ever put together. Yeah, without a doubt. Like I say, it's looking to become a three-time bantamweight champion whilst also having gone down to flyweight to try and become that champion. Yes, that's got an asterisk next to it for the EPO and the fact that he did it. You know, he did lose that fight. EPO aside, he, he was knocked out in that fight. Yeah. Sim- simple as. Yeah. What I think is interesting is I think TJ Dillashaw is a far more technical striker. You know, working with Dwayne Ludwig. Yes. I, th- I think he's the far more, he's got far more sort of strings to his bow, as it were, than, than Aljamain Sterling, who is essentially a one-two roundhouse either high or uh, either high or body kick but he's always wanting to corral his opponents up against the fence i think aljamain sterling is happy to sit on tj dillashaw and backpack him for as long as it takes to win this fight whereas i think tj really wants to make a statement i think i think it's difficult because aljamain sterling did he fight that way against petty yan because he kind of had to because petty yan was such a superior boxer and he had the superior power and he had the superior well, he had he had solid takedown defense. Did he have to fight like that against Petty Yan? Will he have to fight like that against TJ Dillashaw? Does Dillashaw have that one hit power to to sort of concern Aljamain Sterling, or is it going to be more that you know TJ has an accumulation and can hit those angles that Sterling can't quite catch him at mm-hmm. that that will cause him to to struggle in this one? I think. I probably, you know, you say it's a Sterling, but I'm, I'm kind of edging on the side of Dillashaw slightly because I just think that he has the more well-rounded game. I think, you know, again, we haven't seen similar to the guys in the main event. We don't often see, like, you know, we don't see Makachev fight off his back. We don't see Sterling fight off his back an awful lot. I think TJ could potentially mix it in, you know, look to 
to counter a Sterling. Sterling's going to shoot for the takedown within the first two minutes of the round. Without that, whether he gets it or not, he's shooting. Yes. And I think, you know, TJ could counter that takedown with a with a sort of scramble and get top position of his own. We haven't seen Sterling off his back an awful lot. I th- I th- I'm leaning towards TJ Delashaw by unanimous decision. Yeah. Or even, you know, I don't see him finishing it. Sterling won't finish this on the feet. He doesn't simply doesn't yeah. have the power. He finished one fight in 2014, I think, by TKO in the UFC. That's it. He yeah. He's not a, a power striker. He's a volume striker to get the fight to the floor and he's going to submit you or just sort of backpack you like he did to Pei Yan. Mm. I think the first round is going to tell us how this fight's going to go. If if Sterling can't land the takedown sort of in the first round and dominate, I think it's a TJ Delashaw fight. If he can, I think it's a Sterling fight. Unfortunately, we can't mm. pick the fight after the first round because that kind of negates <laughs> the point. But I think that first round is going to be vital in this one. I agree with you. I agree with you. And this is why there's just so many variables of like you say, TJ. Yeah, totally fair. This, this is totally reasonable. There's just so many variables in this fight that we end up leaning back on the stuff that we don't love to really say, which are like sports isms of like who's tougher, who has more fortitude in this fight, uh, which are often just ways of saying like we we don't know. But I think that is completely warranted in this matchup of like, yeah, sure. Who has more intestinal fortitude? Who is more durable? Who's willing to dig deeper when all the chips are down? I think the sportsisms are absolutely appropriate for this bantamweight showdown. Anything else you want to say on it before we move forward? No, to be honest, I think we pretty yeah. much we pretty much covered it. And now we'll go into the next bantamweight fight, where, as you said, then it's a very difficult one to call for me. This yeah. is a very easy one to call. <laughs> well, even when it was booked, we this is the thing we all know we're picking Peter Yan. He's the better striker. He's the more accomplished striker. This is rank number one versus rank number 12 for a reason. He's just coming off title fights. He's he's beaten guys like Jose Aldo and Raya Faber and Corey Sanhagen in, in very meaningful ways. He looked good doing those wins against Sean O'Malley, whose wins are against guys who don't even fight in the UFC anymore or have a losing record in the UFC. Yeah. I, I couldn't. I couldn't even hype it up. I couldn't even hype up Sean. <laughs> I, just I, mean, I, I, I believe that Sean O'Malley is a real, real talent. Yeah, yeah, he's a great striker. Clearly, he's, he's a never good faced anybody. Oh, sorry, he's never beaten anybody who is a a good fighter, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Eddie Wineland. He beat Eddie Wineland. Eddie Wineland's now, I think, retired or cut from the UFC or something like that. For sure, and you know, uh, before he before he uh, knocked out Eddie Wineland, Eddie one and two, yeah, in, in his past three, in his and you know he he was very inactive. You know, t- he lost in twenty seventeen, lost in twenty eighteen, won in twenty nineteen, knocked out by Sean a year later in twenty twenty. Mm. He then, you know, Marlon Vera obviously lost to, which I think is a real good fight to look at in in when talking about this petty fight, Thomas Almeida at the time was three losses on, on the bounce. Chris Martino yeah. had to be brought into the UFC to, to fight, um, get beat up. to fight Sean O'Malley and Sean could barely get him out of there. I thought Chris Martino deserved to see the final bell in that one. And Rui and Piver is, is a career flyweight. He's got, he had one win up at, at, at Bantamweight against, um, Against Kyla Phillips, which you know surprised a lot of people, yeah, but but you know 
it's not a career. If you're getting hit by someone as heavy as, as Sean O'Malley, you want to be a career featherweight dropping down, or you want to be a big bantamweight. Yeah. Against Pedro Munoz, you know, I think it's a difficult fight to 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 score because Pedro was slamming the leg kick, and I think that, and I know it's an easy get out for me to always say, ah, uh, you know work the low leg kick because I'm such a fan of it I think it's so yeah. I mean we saw in the Cub Swanson fight you know Cub Swanson this weekend got absolutely brutalised by leg kicks yeah. but Petian needs to absolutely batter the leg kick of Sean O'Malley because he still even after that Marlon Vera fight not even the Marlon Vera fight it was dating back to his you know his second UFC fight against Andre Sukumtar mm-hmm. he got the leg injury in that one and he still hasn't quite adapted to Defending the leg kick, I don't think I think Petian can can throw and land that leg kick with no danger of being taken down. I don't think don't think Sean O'Malley's got the wrestling to to take Petian down. I think you know the the most interesting and the most intriguing is whether you know no just because I think Sean O'Malley is a massive massive talent. I think that he could he knock Petian out. Yes, I think he could knock anyone out of bantamweight. Do I think no he can knock Petian out? Absolutely not, because I think Petian's just too good. I just think Petian is, is too good a, a fighter, too good a striker, too elusive to be knocked out by by Sean O'Malley, who does throw long looping shots. Who you know he, he faints a lot with his head. Well, Petian's a bit of a slow starter in, in the sort of first in the first sort of two or three minutes. Yeah, so he's got true. to step his foot on the gas slightly with this one because it is only a three round fight. You know, he hasn't had a three round fight. I was looking last night since the Uriah Faber fight. Look what happened in that fight. You know, yeah. I'm not saying Uriah Faber and Sean O'Malley are on the same level, but look what happened in that fight. If people like Aljamain Sterling and, and Uriah Faber can't take Petty onto the ground, Sean O'Malley hasn't got a chance with the greatest respect to Sean. Sean can land on Petty but it's 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 what Petty throws back at Sean O'Malley. I think it's going to sort of answer our questions in this one. You know, can Sean O'Malley land on Petty Without a doubt, he's got a five-inch reach advantage, four-inch uh, four height advantage. So he's not only taller, but he's slightly longer as well. Yeah. But, but, Petian won't just shell up and allow Sean O'Malley to pick him off from the outside. Petian will corral Sean O'Malley up against the fence, batter the legs and really hamper his movement. And I'm probably picking Jan by, by unanimous decision, which is ironic because I do think that he's, hits hard enough and he, he slams the leg kick enough to, to be able to really really struggle you know really really cause uh, Sean O'Malley some struggle but I just don't see I think Sean O'Malley might just do enough he, he might get rocked he might be shelled up against the fence and I, I can see him sort of almost shaking his head at Sean uh, at Petty and saying no you, you know you didn't land on me there you didn't you know no danger but realistically I think Petian's going to come away with a win. If you look at the the, the fights that you know he's, he's gone twenty five minutes with Sterling, he went twenty five minutes with Sandhagen, he went best part of twenty odd minutes with Sterling the first time. He finished Jose Aldo, finished um, Uriah Faber, and you compare that to Sean O'Malley. It's a little bit like the the main event uh, where Islam Makachev hasn't had the competition that Charles Oliveira has, but I do think that Sean O'Malley. That is sorry, Islam Makachev is just a more skilled fighter and has more keys to victory against. Charles Oliveira than Sean O'Malley does against Petty Yan. With that being said, if Sean O'Malley wins, he's fighting the winner of the co-main event. Without a doubt, they are going to rock, strap a rocket to Sean O'Malley and give him the next title shot. 
<laughs> and, you know, there's no taking a step back now for Sean O'Malley. He's always said, on the current contract, I am, why am I going to fight guys at the top of the division? He's been mm-hmm. given a new contract and he's, he's been handed Petter Yan. If he, even if he loses to Petter Yan, it doesn't matter if he's knocked out within the first 10 seconds or if he goes a distance. He, he gets another top 10 guy after this, a uh, uh, Rob Font, uh, uh, probably not a Marab, but maybe, you know, maybe a Corey Sandegg and a Song Yadong, you know. There's no, there's no, with the greatest respect, Chris Martino's Thomas Almeida's on the horizon for for Sean O'Malley anymore. It's it's top top ten, maybe even depending on how he looks against Petter Young, top five guys. I think even with a loss, if he looks good, he can move up in the rankings. He's got nothing to lose. Sean O'Malley is not meant to win this fight, judging by the rankings and judging by his past experience. He's got nothing to lose. Petter Young's got everything to lose. He's, he's let's be honest, he's on the brink of another title shot. Yes. He, he he beat Corey Sandhagen. He hasn't faced, you know, TJ's a new fight for him. Marab's a new fight for him. He's narrowly lost to to Sterling once, and then you've got the controversy in the in the in the first fight. Mm. With a win here, Petian is straight back in the title picture. Maybe a, a Marlon Vera or or a, a Sandhagen or a TJ Dillashaw next gets him an, uh, or sorry, or a Marab gets him a title shot. But if he loses to Sean O'Malley, he drops right down the rankings and Sean O'Malley takes his place. And then Sean O'Malley fights for the title. I think, yeah, Petty has got everything to lose and not an awful lot to gain by beating Sean O'Malley. And it's the complete opposite. Sean O'Malley, like I say, with a loss, probably still goes up in the rankings and has got everything to gain by beating Petty Yan and nothing to lose. What You know, you lose to a guy who is a champion who is only fights in five-round fights usually, who's just coming off a title fight, who is notorious for being an absolute beast in there. Mm. And you lose to him. Well, yeah, so is pretty much everyone not named Aljamain Sterling in the UFC. So, you know, like I said, Sean O'Malley's got nothing to lose. So why not just go out of there and put it all on the line? I think he will do. And I think so too. And I, I think it's, I, I almost disagree with with what you're, hey, we're, we're in agreement on the Peter Yan win. I, I think Petter finds that opening. I think he finds that opening because what Sean O'Malley does, and the reason it looks so good in highlights, is he's doing pull counters constantly. He's kind of doing the same timing on pull counters all the time. Something like Peter Yan can just time that. He's got to figure it out. Like he's fought better strikers. Peter Yan spends his free time, like when he's not fighting the best of the division, he spends his time sparring guys. And we've seen videos of uh, he's sparring Alexander Volkanovsky. He's sparring Israel Adesanya at Tiger Muay Thai. You know, he trains with like. Uh, Hafiel Fiziev, people like this. Like that's what he does for fun. <laughs> I don't think Sean O'Malley is going to show him anything new. Oh, like yeah. oh wow, a pole counter. I never thought of. Th- like I think he's just going to knock him out. But he's going to take his time doing that. Like what Joe Rogan always says. Like take a minute to download the data, see his timing, see his movement. I think this is. I think this is a showcase fight for for Berrian. I think he walks away with a good hi- new highlight reel on his victory, uh, you know, all that stuff. But yeah, I just don't see a lot of ways that uh, Sean O'Malley can really get to it. Yeah, that's that's all I can really throw out. I think Sean O'Malley's he's a UFC dream though. Of like, this is what you for want. Sure. Is of, like, someone can pro- who can promote themselves. He's one of the most famous people in the UFC, you know. And we're his record's not that impressive. I didn't yeah. think you were gonna say. I, I I completely agree. I think, you know, unlike the, the co-main and the main event is where we kind of see yeah. that the co-main and the main can literally go either way. I cannot see how Sean O'Malley wins this unless he acts, or unless he catches Petian and Petian sort of, you know, goes out there and make a mistake. But we've seen for Petian time and time again that he doesn't make mistakes, which is what makes yeah. it so good. With that being said, I'm still crazy excited for this fight. Yes. I still really think that this fight is going to be a really good fight. It's going to be an entertaining fight. 
because mm-hmm. Petty Yan should go out and win there, win it. But mm-hmm. Sean O'Malley is on paper maybe one of the hardest hitters at Bantamweight. True, true to so, true. So, you know, it's still an exciting fight. I'm still going to tune in for it. I'm still going to watch it. I'm still going to be on the edge of my seat for as long as it lasts. If Because Petty Yan, you know, we haven't seen him actually finish anyone with strikes since Uriah Faber. Mm-hmm. Sean O'Malley, we see him finish people with strikes all the time, but we know that he's got his flaws. Can Petty Yan, you know, expose her flaws? I'm going to be on the edge of my seat for this one, as I am for the co-main, as I am for the main. I'm just going to be stuck <laughs> the entire night, I think. Oh, I'm so excited. And for us, it's like it's had a normal human being time. I'm so excited. I'm so bummed for it. Okay, let's move on to the next one because it's actually it's a great one too. Benil Darius versus Mateus Gamrot. Uh, Benil Darius put together some impressive wins in the last few. Um, he has been out for a little while because he gave birth to a Tesla or something like that. I'm getting getting lines mixed up here but I, yeah something like that he's been away for a minute and now he's coming back against Mateus Gamrot um I I'm gonna be honest with you I, I've never been that impressed with Benil Dariush in terms of like he seems slow he seems hittable often he just seems so like the exact opposite of Clay Guida <laughs> I don't you know what I mean um I'm not actually gonna pick Gamrot in this fight anyway what do you think what do you am yeah. I wrong I'm probably wrong here no I think <sighs> It's, it's a difficult one to, to pick because, you know, I, I agree with that, you know, it's, this is going under the radar. This is a phenomenal fight, I think. This is it, a fight like, event easily, right? Without a great. doubt. And I'm not yeah. quite sure why they had a, a fairly uneventful, I don't want to say irrelevant, but a fairly non-event this weekend when they've got these two guys fighting the week after in a three-rounder. I know. I know. You know it's what it is. But... Benio Dayush, rank number six. Mateus Gamrot, rank number nine. I think Gamrot only lost his UFC debut against Kutaladze. But even Kutaladze said, look, look, I didn't win that fight. Yeah. Gamrot won that fight, you know. Yeah. From what we've seen of Gamrot, mm. he is very good. Yes. He is solid wherever the fight goes. We yes. saw last time out. He was managed. He managed to out wrestle Armand Sarukian, which is not an easy thing to do at all. Yes, we've seen him lock up a quick quick Kamora against Jeremy Stevens. We've seen him, you know, knock out Diego Ferreira. With that being said, Benil Dariush, like you know, like you said, he, he, at one point he was riding a three fight, uh, three fight loss streak. Uh, sorry, two two losses and a draw. That that jump flying knee from Edson Barboza, and he was caught cold by Alexander Hernandez, undefeated since then. Armbar of Judoba, rear naked choke of Frank Camacho, that crazy fight with Drakkar Close, which is constantly on his highlight. But, but, and don't get me wrong, that is a phenomenal finish, and we love seeing that. And it was so exciting. Yes. Someone like Gamrot is not being caught with the shot that Drakkar Close was caught with. No way in hell. And then he's he's beaten Diego Ferreira and he's beaten Tony Ferguson. Yeah, I know. That, that is, it's difficult for me to see how Benio Dayush wins this one in comparison to how Gamrot wins this one. I know Dayush is solid on the floor. He's got a takedown defense of 81%. Sure. But I think Gamrot yeah. gets him to the floor. And I think, yeah. this for me, this goes 15 minutes with Gamrot kind of deciding where the fight's played out. I think Gamrot is the, the better fighter. And I think he's also got the highest ceiling with the greatest respect to Benio Dayush. I Absolutely. think he's got... You know, Benil was scheduled to fight Islam. I think he broke his leg in training. Even um, we haven't seen 
um, Benil fight for a long time, you know, May 2021, and that's coming off an injury. Yeah. Gamrot's been active, you know, since since uh, since Dayush's last fight, he's fought three times, including a main event in June of this year where he went 25 hard minutes with Saruki. Hard minutes. Holy crap, that was a good fight too. Exactly. I think, you know, I think Gamrot can put a pace on Dayush in this one because he's, like, a, like we said, you know, like we were alluding to here, he, he's just gone 25 of some of the hardest minutes we've seen this year. Was it a fight of the year contender? No, because it wasn't particularly entertaining, but it was just grind. <laughs> just go, 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 go. And I think, you know, he lands 4.83 takedowns per 15 minutes, yeah. which would, you know, you'd assume that he's going to just take. That's across just five fights, remember. That's only five fights, one of which finished quite early against Jeremy Stevens. I, th- I think that he's going to just look to ground Dayushi and kind of control him. And, you know, Dayushi isn't the guy that's, Particularly easy to, to get out of there. I think he sort of grinds. But if if I'm the UFC, I kind of want Gamrot to win because Dayush isn't a big talker. He's not exactly a big ticket seller. And this yeah. very, very much see the next big star or the next potential contender come out. You know, it's, if Michael Chandler beats Dustin Poirier, I think Michael Chandler gets the next shot. Simple yeah. as. Yeah, I know. But if he doesn't, maybe you set up a Gamrot sort of a Gamrot Poirier for the number one contenders, and you've still got Gaethje, you've still got Fazeev, you've still oh, got oh. you know you still got all of these guys at lightweight that are, that are there or thereabouts, and it's exciting. And I think yeah, that the winner of this one really goes to that next level. And I think the loser takes a big step back in the rankings. I agree. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I'm glad we're on the same page with Gamrod. I thought I was taking a risk there. Anyways, moving on to the next one. Quick paragraph for Caitlin Trugagan versus Menon. Menon Ferro, someone who um, Era Ujo, or sorry, Alexa Grasso said, if I win, uh, like, are you next for Valentina Shevchenko? And she said, no, the winner of Trugagan and Ferro is probably next for Valentina Shevchenko, which is, you know, that's not usually what you hear from fighters. Uh, but yeah, the French boxer versus the clinch I've been there forever in the UFC. <laughs> Who do you have? <laughs> yeah, I, I've been. You know, I've also I've got betting tips out on on the site later on this week. So if you want to potentially make a lot a bit of money, uh, yeah, be be sure to check it out. But I can see, you know, Manon Ferreira is probably the favorite going into this one, just because yep. of this, you know she's she's four and zero in her last four. Yep. You know, like, you know, only four in the UFC. Yep. She's only had ten fights. Yep four of which have been in the UFC. So she, she's a talent, without a doubt. And we saw it against uh, her first two opponents when she finished both of them. We saw it against Jennifer Meyer when she she went the distance with Jennifer Meyer last time out. Mm-hmm. She does seem to fade slightly in these fights. Her output's the same, but she there's not the same pop on her shots. Caitlin yeah. Chikagian, in the last fight against Amanda Hebas, she picked up in the last round considerably. And, yeah. you know, it was a really good fight for Caitlin Chikagian because there was... You know, she she with the greatest respect to Chikagan, she's a, she's a gatekeeper at, at one twenty five. Yeah. She was badly beaten by the champion when they faced. She hasn't got the sort of knockout power, but if you can't get past Chikagan, you're going to struggle. Yeah. If yeah. you look at the girls that Chikagan's lost to in the past sort of five five years or so, Jessica Andrade, Valentina Shevchenko, and and Jessica I, but that was I thought she actually won that fight. You know, she's only got four losses in the UFC. Liz Camus, Jessica Rai, Valentina Shevchenko, Jessica Andrade. Two form, well, two, one former champion, the current champion, two former t- title challenges. Mm-hmm. She's knocked off Joanne Wood, Jennifer Meyer twice, Amanda Hebas, Vivian Aruha, Cynthia yeah. Calvillo, you know, dominated uh, Antonina Shevchenko, almost finished Shevchenko. Yeah. And, you know, 
I can see why people would pick Furo. She's she's probably the heavier hitter. It's going to be the battle of the the, the side side body kicks for me in this one. It's this. It's you know both these women don't like to. I mean, no one likes to be hit unless you're Charles Oliveira. But I don't think these two women like to stay in range for too long. They like to do their work, cut an angle, and get off. And I yeah. think Chikagian's experience. I think you know, I, I'm I'm picking Chikagian in this one, of course, by unanimous decision because she does not know how to finish fights, despite really you know trying hard, especially in that final round. She's got mm. a slightly longer reach, slightly taller girl, but a lot more high level experience than Manon Faro. From the UFC, I want Manon Faro to win. Oh yeah, I think Caitlin Chikagian does does win this one. Unfortunately for for French French uh, MMA fans out there. But yeah, Manafaro, I do think she is the more talented fighter in that, like, if I'm picking a, a coach between these two, I, I want Manon as my coach. She's the better one out of the two. However, Caitlin Jukagan, like you said, she digs deep when she needs to. She finds ways to win when she's losing. She just has that grinding mentality. Yeah, like you said, it's probably a fair fight for Jukagan as well. I, 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 I she's suck. just got a black belt as well. So, you know, maybe we'll see her try and mix in a, a takedown and get, as she called her, that French chick. To the to the floor, you know. <laughs> she's got a black belt. Maybe she wants to show show that off a little bit. If you are, this is actually a fairly good fight to do it. This is this is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Okay, let's move down. Uh, the Bilal Muhammad versus Sean Brady again, flying under the radar. You're talking about this could be a fight night main event easily. The undefeated Sean Brady is he going to continue just making his name for himself, continuing on this unbeatable, like unstoppable streak against? Remember the name Bilal Muhammad, who who is a talented welterweight. <laughs> I thought there was more coming, but that was it. Yeah, he's yeah, it, it, he's he's talented. He's a solid, solid wrestler. Is he a finisher? No, absolutely not. And I think it's strange for the UFC to put these guys opening up the car. Uh, sorry, finishing off the 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 prelims and then having. Caitlin Chikagian and Manon Faro <coughs> opening up the main card. I don't see a finish in either of these. So you're looking at two fights that are pretty much guaranteed to go the distance, unless, unless Sean O'Brady, uh, sorry, Sean Brady, Sean O'Malley, or Sean, Sean Brady. You know, imagine, imagine Sean O'Brady's wrestling with uh, Sean O'Malley's stand-up. But oh. if you look at these two guys, they're just so similar. You know, and this is just looking at the stats. You know. Yes, uh, Mohammed's got the got the, the, the experience advantage, but he has suffered those three defeats where Sean O'Brady's undefeated at fifteen and zero. Average fight time, you know, just shy of the, the full fifteen minutes. Both, you know, five foot ten, five foot eleven, seventy two yeah. inch reach, seventy two inch reach. Four years difference. Sean uh, Sean Brady's uh, four four years younger, but that you know that doesn't at this level it doesn't matter. Strikes landed per minute, pretty much pretty much the same. You know, zero point four differential. Accuracy, you know, eleven percent differential in favor of uh, Sean Brady, but you know, absorb strikes absorbed again the same. The takedowns is where I think this is going to be a wrestling match. I think this is where you know it 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 matters. A takedown accuracy of sixty percent for Sean Brady is pretty pretty good. I know that's not a particularly high percentage, but if you're talking about you know, Islam Makachev's got a lower takedown accuracy. Sean O'Brady strikes me as a kind of fight. Uh, Sean Brady. Oh, Brady. I don't <laughs> know why. Sean Brady. I'll just I'll stop saying Sean. Just Brady, you know, he strikes me as a kind of guy who goes for a takedown, gets it, and holds his opponent there. And he, yeah. he goes for one takedown, then he's happy to strike. You know, last win against Michael Gears, it was phenomenal. Um, you know, unanimous decision, five takedowns. 
of eight attempts against Chiesa, who is dangerous and knows how to handle himself on the floor. You know, he's got wins over Jake Matthews, uh, Nora Dia, Court McGee. You know, True. these aren't these aren't bad guys. But then you compare that to Bilal Mohammed. Yeah, know, he's got a ninety-one percent takedown defense. Yeah, but with the greatest respect to Bilal Mohammed, who's he thought that's an out-and-out wrestler in recent times? You know, let's just take it from from twenty twenty-one. You know, going back as far as twenty twenty-one, Diego Lima, not a takedown guy. Leon Edwards, that obviously only lasted two rounds, not a takedown guy. Damian Meyer. Has never, never had take- good takedowns, and I never think been. that ninety-one percent comes from this fight, maybe alone. One of twenty-one takedowns landed for Damian Meyer. <laughs> Sorry, Stephen Thompson across three never. rounds. Bilal Mohammed landed seven takedowns. Of course, well, I mean, Thompson's accredited with shooting for one takedown. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. And then across five rounds. Vicente Luque never looked to take him down. He hasn't really yeah. had to defend takedowns since the Damian Meyer fight. And they're not wrestling takedowns, they're jiu-jitsu takedowns, they're Damian Meyer takedowns, where you've got to constantly be aware of him taking your back. And it's safer just to kind of run it out of the way almost. Yeah. I think Sean Brady wins this one. Yeah. But I'm not... I, I don't see it being awfully entertaining. Because Blau <laughs> no. Mohammed is... You know, if you look down his record, he's finished... One, sorry, he's finished three UFC fights since 2016. But he's sorry, he's finished two UFC fights since 2016. But yeah, the last one came in 2019 when he when he choked out Sato. Yeah, he's a distance fighter. He's a a, a John Fitch style fighter, but he's he's got the personality on on social media and whatnot to sort of kind of get by. I think Brady. I don't. I do think Brady. Brady is. He's the next big welterweight contender. You've got Rachmanov. You've got Brady. You've got oh. Chimaev. If he decides to come back down to one seventy, bring him in. It's it for me. I you know I I'm picking Brady to win this one fairly yeah. convincingly. I think he can take the fight down when he wants to, and I don't think he can get taken down all that easily. And he's a threat on the floor when he does get taken down. You know, he's he subbed two of his last five opponents, including Jake Matthews, who's not a bad guy on the floor. Let's be honest, he's, he's not bad at all. And and Michael Chiesa is dangerous on the floor. And Michael Chiesa couldn't finish him, despite the fact that most of that game, that most of that fight was played out on the floor. Yeah, no, it's just it's. I think this. Yeah, I agree with you. I am picking Sean Brady as well. But again, this isn't like a super technical analysis of something specific that I saw. It's just Balaam Muhammad. I usually don't pick in fights anyway. Very similar to uh, Benil Dariush. Like I watched him pummel Diego Lima for, for three rounds and never be able to put him away. He just never looks overly talented, but he always grinds out a win. Uh, but I have to believe that the young upstart Sean Brady is is the future. But yeah, let's move down the card here. Uh, the next one. Want to talk about Vulcan Ozdemir versus Nikita Krylov? Both two losses and then one win in their most recent fight. Um, they both won at UFC London not long ago. Both of them like hot prospects when they entered the UFC. Got a couple of wins. They were looking good and never really lived up to how talented we both wanted them to be. I don't know how to pick this one. It, it, like, you want to talk about a style contrast. This is <laughs> as contrasting. You know what I mean? Krylov, I think, is just starting to put together his hands a little bit more in the last little while. But yeah, it's... Uh, it's, it's a fun one. It's, or a yeah, terrible. 
Yeah, or a car crash. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's a that's exactly what it is. It's a fun one, you know. We, what did we learn about Ozdemir's? What have we what have we learned about Ozdemir since since you fought Daniel Cormier back in in what was that twenty nothing sixteen maybe? I don't feel yeah. that we've learned twenty eighteen. Sorry, what have we learned about him since then? Has he grown as a fighter? No, maybe the opposite, if anything. You know, nothing that we didn't already know. We knew that he's a phenomenal puncher, especially at short range. You know, yeah. I don't think we'll have time, but you know, Deontay Wilder this weekend knocked yeah. out Robert Hellenius with, you know, almost like a one inch punch. It, it was very Bruce Lee like, you know, it, but Osim is very similar. He doesn't need to wind up a huge shot to, to, to knock his opponent out. But, you know, like, like we said, Lost to Prohachka, that brutal knockout. Lost to Ankalaev, and then he beat Paul Craig by decision. That was a Paul Craig that was flopping to his back at every opportunity. No disrespect to Paul Craig, because that's kind of his style. Yeah. But you know, do we learn a lot about Volkanovsky in that one? Well, yeah, he could defend takedowns very well, but that's a that's about it. And then the same with Krylov. You know, his, his last fight against Alex Gustafsson, like you say, in in at UFC London, to la- to to finish in, in in a little over a minute. What have we really learned about him? You know, he he obviously was cut from the UFC and then yep. came back successfully. You know, he made a successful comeback. Mm-hmm. But I don't, you know, I don't think this is the right, uh, you know, it sounds like we're being a little bit down. This is the right fight to make it. It's a good it's fight. It's a great it's fight. And I, you know, I am excited. I will, without a doubt, tune into, you know, this isn't one that you skip to see the, the result for, but it's, it's a difficult stylistic one to to, to kind of analyze because it's you don't really like, know what. This fight's very light heavyweight. <laughs> it it's so light heavyweight. So you know, light both heavyweight. guys are coming off an unconvincing win after after two. Lo- oh, not even an unconvincing, just a, a win that we didn't learn much against. About you know knocking out Alexander Gustafsson's good, but it's not Alexander Gustafsson who's a three time title challenger or four time, however many times he's faced it. Uh, he's he's competed for the belt. It, it it's a fun fight. I think Osamir can knock Krylov out. Krylov can probably ground out a pretty boring decision on on the ground. I think that's probably the way it's going to go. Is Krylov maybe takes takes Ozdemir down? But if Ozdemir catches him in that short range, like we say, it's going to be lights out for for Krylov because Ozdemir is such a heavy hitter, especially at that short range. But you know, it, it's it, it's a very like you say, it's a very light heavyweight. It is what it is, and. Am I going to tune in for it? Absolutely, because you know these are big guys, the heaviest guys I think on the card. Yeah, there's no heavyweight fights on this card, so yeah, it's almost you'd hope for a finish, but we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see. All right, what, those are the the real big name movers on this card. UFC 280. What else do you see on this card that you want to sound off on before we head out of here? Just just say to to make sure you tune in for for Mohammed Mokayev. Obviously, you know he, yeah. he quite literally burst onto the scene in the first round against Cody Durden in uh, in uh, in London earlier on in the year on the March card. Mm-hmm. A little bit lackluster in that second. You know, he, not a fan friendly style in that second fight against Charles Johnson. He, he landed twelve takedowns. Charles Johnson is good. He's better than people thought he was. You know, this is a guy who's on paper. Everyone's saying, "Oh, what?" You know, he says you can't even finish a guy that's coming into the UFC. You don't know Charles Johnson's LFA. Is it, was it LFA? He, he was, was an with? LFA champion. Yeah, yeah, he was the champion. Yeah. yeah. So you know, you don't know Charles Johnson's career if you're saying, "Oh, you can't be a guy that's coming in for his first year." That yeah, you know, malarkey, casuals. 
I don't want to say it, but Cashman, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, he landed 12 of 26 takedowns in that one. Mm. Don't get me wrong, he absolutely dominated the fight and he won the fight convincingly. It was never in doubt when the, the final bell rung, but on paper, when you land 12 of 26 takedowns, you sh- you should not be hearing the final bell. You should be able to get that one finished. It's a big step. You know, we, we're, we're saying Charles Johnson's a, a good fighter. I think Malcolm Gordon is a big step up in competition. You know, he he's coming off two straight wins, uh, including a, a TKO finish last time out. Mm-hmm. I, I still think Mohamed Mokhaev gets it done. You know, yeah, definitely. I, I can't imagine. I, this has got to be slightly wrong. Maybe it's not. What's wrong, sir? What happened? Is one sec. Let me just. Okay, yeah, that's concerning for fans of Malcolm Gordon. He's got a takedown defense of zero percent. He has never been able to defend a takedown shot against him in the UFC. So I think that kind of tells you all that you need to know about Malcolm Gordon. It's not a great sign. It's not a great sign. It's not, it's not yeah, a great better betters. If you're betting and can bet on Malcolm Gordon being taken down within the first minute, put your, <laughs> put, put your house on it because. You know, a takedown defense of zero percent against a guy who, across two UFC fights, has landed. He, he lands an average of eleven point two seven takedowns per UFC fight. Yes, he's only had two fights, but yeah. landing an average of eleven takedowns per fight against a guy who has a takedown defense of zero percent tells you everything you need to know about this fight and where it's going to play out. Makayev, it's the coming out party on the pay per view for Makayev, in my opinion, and. You know, it's a, it's a maybe UK bias, but the no, stats will also kind of back up the the UK bias. I'm sure. No, it's it's like the UK bias really does come up when we talk about things like Darren Till. Uh, but no, uh, Muhammad Makayev, come on, that's that is well earned. He's he, this is a good win for him here to move him up a little bit. Uh, yeah, Malcolm Gordon from London, Ontario. It's not going to be a great one for him. Uh, did you speaking of UK bias? You want to talk about Adam Marshall? Clarissa Shields is so much better than I thought even she could be. I knew going into the fight, again, British bias, I was hoping that Savannah Marshall could catch her. And she caught her and she carried on walking through it and she didn't really care. And she kind of, she showed so, I mean, I was watching it, obviously it's on Sky Sports. The viewers' scorecards had it close going into the last round. Why are we asking viewers? Because you're asking British viewers who... (laughs) Uh, of course, going to say oh, Savannah Marshall edged that one. Every time Savannah Marshall had Clarissa Shields up against the ropes and kind mm-hmm. of unloaded on her, the crowd mm-hmm. were going wild. Well, yeah, she was unloading on her, but it was she was unload. You know, I, I I could probably go in there and just unload on Clarissa Shields' elbows. It doesn't mean that I'm winning the fight. You know, with the greatest respect to to Savannah Marshall, and she said it herself, she was just beaten on the day by the better fighter. Will these yep. two rematch? Yeah, potentially but i don't think Come it was on. i think out of the two sort of main fights on that card the the michaela meyer Alicia bungarden fight i actually scored that in favor of meyer she obviously didn't get a hand race in that one i want to see a rematch in that one because it was far far closer than the savannah marshall uh Clarissa shields fight yeah i don't think marshall has got anything you know she quite simply she was beaten by the better woman Clarissa shields was so quick in there so accurate and her her, her, her shot choice her shot placement was just better than savannah marshall's who just looked to kind of walk her down and wear on her which ultimately she wasn't able to do 
it's a difficult one for me because I really wanted Savannah Marshall to win. No disrespect to Clarissa Shields, but it is just that British bias. But, you know, <laughs> I think Clarissa Shields is now, you know, she's not only shown us that she can box with the best, she's thrown, shown us that she can box with the, the heaviest hitter in women's women's boxing today in Savannah Marshall. You know, she prior to this, she'd finished 10 of 12. She can hit. Finishing mm-hmm. 10 of 12 in just two minute rounds I, you know we've been going for almost you know coming up to an hour and a half oh, now I can't yeah. talk about two minute rounds because we'll be going on for five and a half hours yeah. but but you know the two minute rounds I did think played a, played a, a big factor in both of these fights but you know for Savannah Marshall to be such a heavy heavy hitter in two minute rounds and finish so many girls in two minute rounds it just showed you the class that Clarissa Shields have showed in this one well yeah and Clarissa like you said this is she looked it looked, I mean, amazing in there she is a tactical such a, like a precise technical boxer and the way that she celebrated the way that she was treating this fight going in she knew that this was the biggest fight of her life savannah marshall was the biggest challenge of her career this is savannah marshall's first loss and shields is now collected she's she's all four correct she's got the yeah, four undisputed now yeah uh, uh unreal uh, middleweight yeah unreal like an amazing job and i think one thing with clarissa shields is that you and i really do work in the fight game a lot so we see a lot of this but just from the reactions on twitter and instagram i think clarissa's starting to come across a little bit more into the mainstream i think that yeah. story that she has is finally coming across into the mainstream and she she deserves it she is an outstanding boxer yeah without a doubt and you know she we, we forget that she's gone to compete in the pfl she's she, she, yeah, she's true. transitioning over into sports and right. she's she's you know, like like you say, I do think now, I, th- I think that the she had to have the right dance partner. She told Savannah Marshall, "Look, that was the hardest fight of my career." Yes, you you can look good dancing around someone that's ten and zero but never fought anyone. Yeah, Savannah Marshall going into the fight was a genuine live threat for Clarissa Shields, but that helped her transition over into the mainstream. You know, mm-hmm. you don't get on. You don't headline this all female the first time in the UK that an all female fight night has, has happened. You don't mm-hmm. get to headline that if you're not a big draw. Yep. Savannah Marshall helped Clarissa Shields as Clarissa Shields helped Savannah Marshall. You can't tell me that Savannah Marshall won't have gained a hell of a load of fans. Yep. Likewise with Clarissa Shields gonna have gained a hell of a load of fans. So uh but yeah, I completely agree with you. She's got the she's got the backstory. Whether yes. she will ever see her in MMA again, I'm I don't know. But it, you know, even if we don't so what she 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 tried it she got paid by the pfl without a doubt so you know it's what you know she's a boxer with barely any mma training and she's still i think she's got in there twice now so you know why not and she is transitioning like you say over into the mainstream it's great to see yeah well deserved uh ufc 280 coverage i'm going to put our author links down below so you can find all the stuff that we have published going on this week so all the social media keep track of us on uh, instagram and twitters and all that stuff links for these bad boys will be down below uh, my name is tim ween with mma sucker uh joined as always by fraser chrome fraser last word anything else we need to cover i think we've covered it all will be uh, am i right in saying that you're going out to to no, i'll tell you about it after but no oh got it, it, is okay. what it, is. it is what it is but that means that next monday we will be here breaking down what is on paper the best fight night in in ufc yeah in the ufc this year best pay-per-view best fight best cards best everything there's gonna be talking points even if the first fight falls off there's gonna be a talking point second fight (laughs) falls off there's gonna be a talking point we will be breaking this that fight card down next week and i am hella excited for it absolutely fraser thanks so much for your time thank you man